Looking for a verbal hand job? Yes, 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 yes. Release your frustrations and listen to Blunt Talk on Renegade Talk Radio. <laughs> I thought he was going to shit. How, <laughs> Pete? Oh, oh, fuck is... Hey, I wish I was big just once. <laughs> He's a big boy. He knows what he said. What'd you say? Right. Funny how? What? Just, you know, you're, you're funny. <laughs> you mean, so? man, let me understand this, because I don't, you know, maybe it's me. I'm a little fucked up, maybe. But I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown. I amuse you. I make you laugh. I'm here to fucking amuse you. What do you mean funny? Funny how? How am I funny? I'm not just... You know how you tell a story? What? No, no, I don't know. You said it. How do I know? You said I'm funny. How the fuck am I funny? What the fuck is so funny about me? Tell me. Tell me what's funny. How lucky can one guy be? I kissed her and she kissed me. Well, good morning. Uh, you're listening to Blunt Radio with uh, Rich and Caroline, and we have Derry Matera from the Arizona Republic, and today's Mobster Day here at uh, Renegade. It sure is, and good. if you want to call in and talk to some mobsters, give us a ring, 866-473-2170. And good morning, Derry. How are you morning, doing? Morning, Rich, Caroline. How's everything going? Everything's going well. Did you get arrested this week? I did not get arrested Yay. this week. So Yay! Week. You've been a good little boy, Gary. <laughs> but I've been scouting uh, the trail and what happened to me and my shooting for my court case. So Excellent. I'm mapping out the whole scenario. <laughs> so we have a little change in the lineup uh, this morning. Yeah, a little bit change. We okay. Had, we had to switch Henry and Michael. So we're going we to talk to Michael. Them. Yeah, we're going to talk to Michael first. Michael we're first, Henry We're trying second. to get him on the line. And uh, Michael is a former bad guy, and now he's all godlike, correct? Correct. Michael was a made man in the mafia. Un unlike uh, Henry Hill, who was a mob associate, mm -hmm. Michael was a captain. He was a upper-level officer and a, and a mafia prince. His father was the underboss of the Colombo crime family. Uh-oh, sounds bad. So he's high-ranking. He was a made man. He was uh, as deep in as you could possibly be. But he went about it a little bit differently because he was a, also a prominent businessman on the East Coast and involved in a lot of corporations, correct? Yeah, Michael did it different. Michael brought the mafia into the 20th century, so to speak. Mm -hmm. he, he, instead of doing uh, prostitution and gambling and, and alcohol and drugs, he, he, went right, he brought the mafia right into car dealerships, banking, uh, legitimate loans and clean oh, business. He had a whole bunch of clean business. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a, a pretty ingenious thing. And it took him a while to really get busted, right? Yeah, it took him a long time. It took uh, 15 federal agencies all banding together. Wow. Okay, we have uh, Michael Franzese on the line, and we're going to bring him right up. Uh, Michael, good morning. You're on uh, Blunt Talk uh, on the Renegade Talk Radio Network. With my, uh, my name is Rich, along with Caroline. Hi, Michael. How are you? Wonderful. Thanks so much for joining us today. And Derry Matera. 
Yeah, you know me, Michael, remember? I think we, uh, we know each other from years past. Yep. How you doing? Okay, how are you? Good, very good. So yeah, let me start with one question. You know the one question you always get, I always get when people I know I wrote the book with you. So give us the answer. Well, go ahead. What's the, the one, one question? The one question, you know it. It's been 20 years. Why are you still alive? Oh, that's the one question. <laughs> Isn't that the one question, the first question you get? That's the first question I'm asked whenever I speak, whenever I meet anybody. It's, it's the same thing. That's what I thought. So, it, and in 20 years, I've been asking you. You still haven't given me a good, good answer. <laughs> yeah, I like to hear that answer myself. So, give this network, uh, the whole world, 20 years. It's amazing you've survived this long, right? Well, you know, according to uh, the experts and the people that are in the know, it's it's kind of amazing, and and quite honestly, at times, it's pretty amazing to me. Well, Michael, how how, how do you uh, how do you How'd you achieve that? I mean, how'd you get around that? Because m most of the things you hear, you see in the newspapers or the television, you know, and reports that <clears throat> people in the mafia that do, you know, that turn usually get whacked somewhere along the line. Well, quite honestly, I mean, I, I don't know of anybody else that reached the level in that life that I reached, and, mm -hmm. um, and uh, was that was able to walk away and live without entering in a witness protection program or, you know, in some way, shape, or form, changing identity and moving on. And, of course, that has not been the case with me. I've been living pretty openly. And I think there's, a, you know, there's a, a combination of reasons for that. And uh, one of the major factors is that, um, you know, I didn't testify against anybody and put people in prison, uh, even though when then the thought was that I was going to do that because of the way this thing unfolded way back when, um, and then I, I will say it was a blessing that uh, while I was out on parole and, and the thought was that I was going to become a major mob witness, uh, things happened. I was violated and put back in for three years, and that kind of put people's mind at, at ease with that. However, having said that, and I mean, the things I did and the things I continue to do is certainly enough to irritate a lot of people, and I know for a fact that, uh, you know, there was a lot of talk about, uh, you know, things that should happen to me and would happen to me, and plans were made, but once again, and I'm sorry for this being a long answer, but I've I got to give you the facts. Um, you know, most of the people I ran with during that time were either dead or in prison for the rest of their lives. Uh, I certainly couldn't go back to Brooklyn and live, or New York, or any area where there's a real stronghold of my former associates. That wouldn't be wise. And, uh, and you know, for me, too, it, it's a question of faith. I mean, uh, you know, I believe that there's no question that God is protecting me for what, whatever reason he sees fit. Uh, that's for sure. So uh, you got the uh, the long short answer, I would say. <laughs> Michael, what uh, what caused you to make the decision not to join witness protection in the first place? Well, I mean, that's you know, for me, that's no way to live. No, number one, had I done something like that, I would be, you know, telling the world that hey, I I did something for the wrong reason, and therefore I got to hide for the rest of my life, and you know. That's no way to live, number one. I wouldn't do that to my family. I, I couldn't, I'm not the type of guy that can live in hiding. It just wouldn't work for me. I'd rather take my chances. And, um, you know, so that just was never an option. It was never a thought. It was not what I wanted to do. You know, I tell people out of time, I left the life not necessarily saying that everybody in the life was bad or all those guys were no good, because I certainly was as bad as any one of them. So it's the life itself that uh, that's no good and that's... Uh, 
you know, that that's something that I couldn't deal with anymore. Hey, Michael, uh, this is Rich again. Uh, asking a question about the new, about New Jersey and the casinos. Were, were the family that you were in with were they involved in the fighting b- between the Philadelphia mob and the South Jersey mob? And the Colombo family, with uh, when uh, New Jersey started to uh, go with casinos. Well, we weren't involved in the fighting, uh, so to speak. Or the control. I guess the control would be better word. Yeah, yeah. Control. Obviously, everybody wanted a piece of the action. You know, I was involved and had a couple of meetings with Nicky Scarfo at the time because I had the uh, security guards union back then, and uh, I controlled that union, and we wanted to uh, unionize the hotels. So I went and had a discussion with Nikki, and we agreed that, uh, you know, if we did that, it would be a joint deal between the Columbos and, and Nikki's family. Well, Nikki, uh, back in those days, I remember when Angela Bruno was shot in the head outside in South Philadelphia, out of, uh, outside of an Italian restaurant. Do you remember that? And then Nikki sure. Scarver took over? Right. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. And there was a big war in the Philadelphia mob at that time because Chicken Man Testa, all those guys were getting blown up. Everybody was trying to fight for the right to control Atlantic City. Yeah, there was, there was a lot going on, if I recall, back then. But everybody wants to get their little piece when something like that comes, uh, comes up. But, uh, you know, I think Philadelphia uh, mainly was in control there. And, and, you know, a lot of that depends on relationships, too. You know, mm-hmm. you could be from another family but have a relationship with the guy in control in that area, and then maybe you could, you know, sneak in there and, or, or get your piece in a way. So. Did, you ever, did you ever go to a bar by the name of Sinelli's in Cherry Hill? Um, I visited Cherry Hill on a number of occasions. I don't know if that was the bar I went to, honestly. Right, because I uh, used to work in, a, in that bar and the Gambinos, I think, and it was Rosario and his brother used to go to that bar, uh, and they used to hang out in that bar. A lot of mobsters used to go into that bar. Well, I know Rosario pretty well, but mm-hmm. only met him uh, after the fact because we spent about three years together in Terminal Island. We were roommates. Oh, okay. Cellmates, <laughs> Cell- 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 <laughs> I should say. Lovely. <laughs> Yeah, he uh, he got me on to, uh, I had drunk clumps, club soda for about 10 years, and uh, that was my drink, and he started drinking Diet Coke, and he had cases of that in our cell, and ever since then I've been drinking Diet Coke, so I don't know whether I'm mad at him or not for that. <laughs> you could be the Diet Coke spokesman. Yes, that was his <laughs> drink of choice, so... But he was, he was a pretty good guy, and uh, we had a funny story. He was on the bottom bunk because he had a, you know, he was a little older than me. I like to say that, and he had a bad back, so he used to, I let him have the bottom bunk. I was up top, and we had an earthquake back in, uh, oh, gosh, I don't remember when it was. But I think back in 87 or 88 in Terminal Island, mm-hmm. and I will never forget because our bunk started jumping around the room, and, and Sal, I called him Sal, he jumped out of bed, and he was jumping up and down, and, you know, this, this uh, tough mob guy was, more scared of an earthquake than I've seen anybody get scared. <laughs> yeah, funny. Funny. Yeah, he wasn't a California guy, so that was the first time he ever experienced something well, like that. That was funny with him because he, uh, he came up to me uh, when I was uh, the disc jockey in this bar, and he wanted to have a dance uh, to a slow song. It was a Fra- Frank Sinatra, uh, My Way. And I had about 1,000 people on the dance floor dancing, and he came up and he said, I want you to play this and laid a $100 bill in my hands uh-huh. and said, clear the dance floor. <laughs> and that's exactly what I did. I did yeah. what I was told. An yeah. offer you can't refuse. That's correct. Well, that's that's kind of the way we handled things back then. Yeah, well, I was I was uh, you know friends with uh, a lot of those people. I just you know I was high high doing you know they always liked me because I played their special music and it was it was cool for the time. It right. was nice. Yeah, Michael. Getting back to what you were saying about witness protection. I mean, you've you've lived not only have you lived your life your way. 
to segue to that song. You've done it your way, but you've you've been very public. You give speeches. You speak in speak in churches. I know you came here to Phoenix and spoke right on stage at ASU. So if someone wanted you, you've made yourself very very open with yes. all the with all the work you've done in the speeches. So you haven't just sat back. You've been almost the opposite. You've been everywhere, from one end of the country to the other, giving speeches. Well, yeah, I've been I've been very proactive, and I just I probably did about uh, maybe seventy or eighty dates so far this year. Um, and I'm out there. You know, I normally speak on a number of different topics, but with uh, I speak a lot to student athletes and to professional athletes about gambling. That's a major part of what I do, and I visit I visit Division One universities throughout the country. I think that's where I I met you that one time, Barry uh, Darry. Is that right? Down at ASU. Yeah. Yeah, right. I saw your speech there, and he was live on stage, right up there. And like I said, you know, like I said, I mean, I don't I don't attack anybody in particular, and uh, you know, I, I, that's that comes across, I think, in in what I do and when I speak. But yeah, I mean, I'm out there. There's no question. And if somebody was irritated enough, um, uh, I, I wouldn't say that they wouldn't have their chance. But you know, again, it's a faith thing for me, and I believe that uh, when my time, when it, when it's my time to go, I'll be gone. And I don't know how that's going to happen. Do you ever think about that when you're on stage behind a podium in an auditorium with thousands of people? Does well, that ever I, enter your mind? Do you look at the crowd? Do you search? Do you look for a familiar face? You know, the let me put it this way: the old antenna goes up in certain instances. I mean, you know, I I, uh, I did one date. I was a little leery. Uh, I did a date in Connecticut um, back in May, and I was in a club in Connecticut, and um, that got me a little bit because it was an Italian area, and I didn't know how much they publicized. Even though it was a Christian concert, uh, the place was jam packed, and yeah, I had my concerns. I, I thought about it, and I felt a bit uncomfortable being so close to home and so close to that area. Another time I was in New York and I spoke in a uh, Korean church that was jam-packed and there was two gentlemen up front that stood out like a sore thumb. I mean, they were Italian guys and so I mean, we had security look at them and question them and it, it turned out, uh, you know, everything was fine. But yeah, I'm, I'm pretty observant uh, because I don't think that'll ever leave me. You know, there's times I'll be driving in a car and I'll see a car behind me for what I feel is a little bit too long and, and right away I'm wondering, okay, who is this? So, I mean, I don't think that, you know, will ever leave me. Um, but, again, it's, it's not something that I think about, you know, on a daily basis. Okay, my, hey, Michael, if you, if you would have stayed in the, uh, in the mob uh, with the Colombo family, at one point you think you would have been running the, the family and running the operations? Well, I think, um, you know, certainly my chances were as good as anybody's, uh, especially, you know, the way, I see, the way I see things are today, I mean, there's guys that were under me that are, are running things right now. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I was pretty close with the boss at the time. And, um, and who was the boss at the time? Uh, Persico, Carmine Persico, Jr. Okay. He's, uh, he's doing a, a bunch of time now. But uh, I think my chances were certainly as good or maybe better than some others to be in control, yeah. Let me ask you a question about the Sopranos. Uh, when you watch that television show, is that very, very close to the way the mob is uh, in real life? You know, I, I would tell you this. Um, I mean, I like the characters. I think some of the characters are, are portrayed well. I like the way it's casted. Um, but if there was a mob boss ever visiting with a psychiatrist, I mean, you'd probably find him in the trunk of the car. <laughs> Yeah, that is kind of weird that he goes to the psychiatrist. That is yeah. weird. Yeah, I mean, you know, if 
that that would be a definite uh, signal that something's going wrong. Yeah, but Michael, didn't one mob boss pretend to be insane for about 15 years? Wasn't he seeing psychiatrists? Who was that? Yeah, that Gigante? was uh, yeah, Gigante. But um, that's the uh, that's the operative word, pretending. <laughs> I mean, he was, uh, you know, when he needed to be, his senses were quite sharp. Let's put it that way. Michael, what uh, what caused you to want to lead that kind of life in the first place? You know, I mean, the, the immediate uh, catalyst for that was my wife. I mean, meeting my wife at the time, um, you know, and, and me having a real change of heart. And, and she was the catalyst for that, without a doubt. But, you know, I, you know to be quite honest, when you, you don't really know that life until you get in by virtue of the fact that it is a secret life. I mean, you could be around it, you could be on the fringes, you could be an associate, but until you get in, you don't really understand what it's all about. Now, once I did get in, don't get me wrong, I was very zealous in my desire to, to be the best possible soldier I could be, and I worked hard at it. And, and, uh, so, and so in other words, you kick people's asses. Well, it's not, it's not all about that. You know, it's about, I'll tell you what, it's about following orders and making money. And, right. You know, you kind of fall into your slot there. I mean, if you're, a, if you're a street guy that really isn't capable of making, you know, making money and profiting for the family, well, then you're going to fit into a certain category. When there's a lot of work to do, you'll be the one they call. And if you're, you're in a different, you know, category and, and maybe you can make a lot of money and you can do some things mm -hmm. for the family that haven't been done before, well, then that's the slot you're going to fit into, knowing that, you know, you've got to be able to do both. And what slot were you in? What were you really good at? What was your expertise in, in getting in making money for the family? I was making money. I mean, that's that's where it was at for me. I mean, I, w I was very aggressive. I was out there. I was on the streets. I was all about making money. Mm -hmm. and, Michael, you know, I think uh, when you described the word work, when you just said a, a lower-level tough guy type, and you said when there's work to do, explain what you meant there. Well, you know, the street stuff, kick-ass stuff, Barry, Barry, what could I say, without getting into too much detail, but... Exactly. I think that passed a lot of people's head. When you meant work, you <laughs> meant the, the muscle type. The, yeah. The, the, I think you had a guy beat a guy with a telephone once, as I recall, when it came, when it came down to it. Well, I think somebody wrote that in a book that they wrote about me one time. <laughs> in your voice, right? Well... Did you, hey, Michael, did you have a uh, relationship with Gotti? I did. You did? Yeah, I knew John uh, pretty well, and we we had our uh, differences over uh, certain things, and we, you know we got involved in a couple of business matters. But you know, all in all, um, you know, I think we had a mutual respect for each other. I liked John, and uh, and I think he liked me. Um, you know, he was just a difficult guy. I mean, John was, uh, you know, he had a tremendous ego. And he was a difficult guy to deal with. But if you got on a social level, then everything was cool. Now, the guy in, the guy in Philadelphia, the, 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 the head of the mob in Philly, just got busted, and they sent him away. And he was, like, actually doing the John Gotti thing by helping the homeless out and so on and so forth. You probably, I don't know his name, but you probably know about who he is. Or, you think uh, familiar you know, not, not really. Not too familiar with it right now. I mean, quite honestly, I hear some things, and I read the New York papers, and, uh, but I don't, I don't really dwell on it. And, mm -hmm. So I don't know. But, you know, when you say doing the John Gotti thing, I mean, sincerely, guys had a, uh, a love for their neighborhoods and took care of people in the neighborhood. That's just, that's not a John Gotti thing. That's just a thing that you did. I mean, my dad did it. I mean, I, 
I was kind of protective of the people in my neighborhood. It's just something that you do. Okay. It's cultural more than anything else. So I, I think that's sincere. When they, I don't think anybody's doing that for show. Richard, uh, there's, there's a good thing about John Gotti. There's a scene in The Godfather 3 that was taken right out of Michael's book, Quitting the Mob, where they come in and they say, who's going around town saying F. John Gotti, F. John Gotti. Well, that's you, Michael. That's you who were going around town, I think, <laughs> saying that. And they took that, they stole that scene in The Godfather 3 right out of the book, Quitting the Mob. Well, let me put it, they, uh, that never happened. I never <laughs> went around saying, you don't do things like that. You know, I mean, you have to be pretty dumb to right. go around and say things like that, whether it be John Gotti or anybody else. It, it's just the respect that we... We didn't do things like that to each other. So, number one, that never happened. But the and perception was that you were doing that, and that's, who, that's where they got that scene. Exactly. They got right. the scene because somebody wrote it. In the, uh, somebody wrote about it. I don't know. <laughs> somebody put it in the you book. You can never trust yeah. the media, Michael, right. especially well, ones on triple secret probation. <laughs> Well, I won't go there. But I'm watching The Godfather 3, and I'm sitting there in a movie theater, and I see that scene, and I'm going, oh, my goodness, these guys. They took it right out of, right out of my book. should have sued them. They did that with The Sopranos. And uh, Michael, when Michael was brought down, he was hunted by a 15 intergovernment task force, mm -hmm. 15 separate from the IRS to, I think, FCC, Everybody, every government agency is. They had this task force, and they met in this basement. And one, I think the third season of The Sopranos, when they were hunting Tony and the task force was after him, um, they just mirrored everything. They took it right out of that. And remember, yeah. uh, I don't know, remember when they bugged uh, the lamp, the lamp yeah. and she took it out of town? Was there something similar that happened to you about being bugged? Well, I mean, they had so many things bugged around us at the time. I mean, gosh... I mean, they were they were bugging trees when we were walking up and down and talking. They were they were bugging everything. So, so probably know. on their end, if they had a bug like that into your house, and somebody, one of your kids or brothers or somebody took it off to college, that could have been right out of there too. Could have been. Hmm. Could have been. Because I, I saw that again, and I said, I'm looking at the pages. I'm saying, boy, they're scripting this right out of the book. <laughs> well, they, yeah, they even done a few things I've seen in films. Uh, you know, they they had some uh, gas, they had some stuff that we did in the gas business in there, and I know where that came from. <laughs> and, Michael, talk a little bit about that. I know you were more involved in the business side than the muscle side, and I was curious about that gas tax scheme you had going on. What was the deal with that? Well, long story short, we, uh, myself and, and associates, figured out a way to sell gasoline and not pay the tax. And yeah. uh, at the time, there was uh, the tax on gasoline was $0.09 cents federal, and depending on, on what state and locality you're in, about another 25 to 30 cents. So you're talking anywhere, you know, around 35 cents a gallon. And we figured out a way uh, to sell the gas and not pay the tax. So we would keep 35 cents a gallon or, or a portion of. And at one point in time, we were selling a half a billion gallons a month. So That's a lot of money. It was a lot of money coming in, yeah. Well, did the Russians start doing that in California at one time? Well, um, the Russians and and my we actually went partners with the Russians. I kind oh. of brought them into our cartel, so to speak, and we did expand into uh, Michael, California. Michael taught the Russians. How he, to do you it. taught the Russians yeah. how to do it. Yeah, we uh, we kind of gave them the expertise. They were pretty capable, but they just didn't they didn't know how to you know put the deal together. And we were able to do that, and we cut a pretty good deal with them, and it worked. I actually enjoyed the partnership with them. They were pretty honorable. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They were they were good guys. 
Cool. I, you know, I was I was reading some of your background. You had three major racketeering indictments, five criminal trials, seven years in prison, and a mafia death sentence. And uh, how did you get through that grand jury? How did you, uh, you know, survive that grand jury? I mean, that must have been really tough. You know, it's uh, it, it's a time in my life you, when I think back. I mean, I don't even like driving past the courthouse. Right I bet now. you don't. <laughs> I'm telling you, I get a traffic ticket. It goes in the mail that minute. You know, I don't want it. I don't want to be any of that stuff anymore. Forget this. Now, when you when you look back and you see what an absolute drain it was, and it was only my not only myself personally, but all those years that I I did the same thing, you know, trying to help my dad and get him out of prison. It's just it takes a lot out of you. But you know, when you're into it, that's what you do on a daily basis. Some people go to work. You know, we defended ourselves in cases. I mean, you know, it was part of the program, so to speak. But it was uh, it was very draining. It's it's a tough deal when you. Let me tell you, you know, I stood in front of a jury five times, and when you're standing in front of a jury, that's going to decide, you know, really your fate for the rest of your life when you're facing racketeering cases. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty tense. I, I bet that is. I I couldn't believe going through something like that. Yeah, and he was five and zero. Oh. He won all five cases. And you yeah. won all five cases. He was yeah. Five and zero. Oh. The jury liked him. So, no, so <laughs> let me, Michael, very charismatic. Michael, let me ask you a question. Yeah. So your father was in the mob also. Yeah, my dad. Uh, you know, my dad was an uh, underboss in the in the family back mm -hmm. in the '60s, and wow, very high profile and very well respected. Michael, talk a little bit about the Breaking Out Foundation. Yeah, it's kind of my uh, pet project right now, and uh, I'm excited in that um, we just went partners out here in California with the city of Norwalk. They've adopted it, the program that I created as a pilot program, and basically what it is. It's uh, aimed at at-risk youth at uh, high school age, and we train kids in the areas of entertainment and sports, um, making them aware of the fact that there are literally hundreds, if not thousands, of jobs that support the uh, main players in that industry, and that um, you know they don't have to be a Michael Jordan on the court or a, a major superstar performer in order to be in those industries and earn a good living. So, and the reason we do that because everybody's attracted to sports and entertainment. That's a good hook for the kids. And when you when you open their eyes to the fact that they could possibly have a career in there, they uh, they really get lit up. So we created a program with a curriculum, and it's uh, accompanied by a DVD video series. And um, we're kicking it off in September, October, in the city of Norwalk, and, and hopefully at some point in time over the next years, it'll go national. And Michael, what is the significance of the city of Norwalk? Uh, no significance other than the fact that it's a rough, it's, uh, it's got its gang problems down there, and I just, um, I've become close with a, uh, a councilman here, and, uh, and also some councilmen in Norwalk, and Assemblyman uh, Mervyn Dimely, who's uh, from the 52nd District here in California, and he made these introductions. He's very supportive of the program, and I'd like to see it as a major program in the state. So we kind of started in the city of Norwalk because the uh, city council from the mayor on down, all love the program and, and want to give it a shot. Hey, Michael, I got a question. How, how Wait a minute, look at it. I think that's the wrong answer, Michael. Who's from Norwalk? Well, yes, as a coincidence, right? my wife right. was, uh, <laughs> grew up in Norwalk, and we're laughing about that. She says, I can't believe after all these years you're going back to Norwalk, uh, to where I grew up. So, yeah, that is coincidence. Oh, it's just a coincidence. I thought it was done specifically for that reason. Oh, no, no. Oh. It, it was, she was kind of... Wow, you're really going back to Norwalk? I said, yeah, Cam, see where it all began for you. So, no, it's coincidence. Ah. Michael, do you find that people are a little wary of working with you, particularly politicians? Um, well, 
I haven't really seen that yet. I'm sure in the back of their minds, they're, uh, they they may have some question. But you know, when you're when you're going when you're attacking a problem that they have out here, the gang problem is major and it's significant. And listen, who better to speak to gang members than a guy who left the biggest gang in the world right. and has some street experience and can relate to them? And and I obviously can. When I talk to them, I got their attention immediately. I bet you did. So right. you know, it's. Uh, and they're looking for help, so I guess, uh, you know, a, a guy like me fits the bill. So, over, uh, Michael, overall, do you think uh, that people generally like you overall? I mean, <laughs> knowing your background? <laughs> well, I, I don't, you know, I think the background at some point can make people weary. Mm -hmm. um, but generally like me, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I have friends. <laughs> I get along with people. And, then, you and you're not dead yet. No. I'm still here. <laughs> He's a so very likable guy, very charismatic, very... The, the, the thing about Michael is what he did. He was called the Yuppie Don in New York. He was able to put on the suit and go into banks, chase Manhattan Bank, and get loans and do things like that. And he filtered in, and he didn't have the broken nose, and he didn't talk like Joe Pesky, and he could do that. And that's why it's easier for him to fit in. Okay, uh, Michael, we're going to take a, sh a short uh, commercial break, and you're listening to Blunt Talk on the Renegade Talk Radio Network, and we'll be right back after these messages. Have you ever stopped to think why music is such a distinctive, valuable, and exciting form of communication? Hi, I'm Huey Lewis. Why do a child's eyes get so large the first time he or she sits down on a new drum set or masters a simple tune on a guitar? These days, people mistakenly focus way too much on the economic aspects of music rather than on the amazing positive effects that it creates when adults, and especially children, listen and react to it. Gaining an appreciation for Bruce Hornsby or Joseph Hayden opens young minds to the beauty of diversity. And diversity is the spice of life. A public service announcement brought to you by MENC, the National Association for Music Education and this station. Music, part of a sound education. Good morning, this is Raj Fox. You're on the morning cyber sickness. Who's this? Hey, this is Minnie from high school. Remember me, you big fat faggot? I got two words for you, and it ain't happy birthday. Go fuck yourself. Yeah, well, that's three words, you dumbass. Raunch in the morning. Get an early start on ammunition to rip that asshole that'll be messing with you later. She is the greatest singer the world has ever known. And now she has created the greatest fragrance the world will ever smell. Celine Parfum. Hello, this here is Celine Dion. And my odor will go on, yes? If you have ever desired to smell like Celine Dion after she sweats on stage for three hours, now you can with Celine Parfum. Take a few drops and dab them on the neck of my perfume. Celine Parfum, the sensual scent that makes about as much sense as her English. It smells, no? Inspired by her music, Celine Parfum is the titanic odor for the beauty who wants to smell like a beast. So run, don't walk. For my perfume to the store, you should go, yes? Celine Parfum. When it comes to celebrity brand extension merchandising, this one really stinks. Like my music, no? 
Do you know where your children are when they're surfing the web? The Internet's a great place for kids to learn and have fun, but with unwanted X-rated spam emails, pornographic websites, and Internet-initiated abductions, there's a dark side. In today's high-tech world, parents need to be net-savvy. You can start with the National Research Council's new website, NetSafeKids, author and technology expert Robin Raskin. NetSafeKids.org is a great starting point for information on how to keep kids safe on the Internet. The information comes from experts, and the recommendations are backed by solid science-based research. The site answers important questions like how do pornography and predators reach kids and how can I protect my child? What about legal issues? You'll find a good discussion of First Amendment issues surrounding Internet pornography on the site, but you'll also find practical advice for parents, like how they can create Internet usage agreements with their children. Surveys show that one in four kids will see sexually explicit Internet pictures, so now is the time to visit netsafekids.org. That's all one word, netsafekids.org. Hey guys, throw out the Viagra and get rid of those implants because you want all new Captain Jack's Rock Hard Erection Cream. If you're a guy that suffers from noodleitis, shrinky dink, or just whiff out when you're on deck, then you need Captain Jack's Rock Hard Erection Cream. You'll finally be able to get three, four, even five at bats every night with Captain Jack's Rock Hard Erection Cream. Here's an example. We'll rub a little dab of Captain Jack's Rock Hard Erection Cream on this shriveled up worm. Look at that. This worm is so hard we can pound it through a two by four. Just imagine what you'll be pounding through. Oh, yes! Yes! Captain yes. Jack's Rock Hard Erection Cream is shipped in a discreet brown paper bag so your neighbors won't know you're a limp dick. Don't look like you just got out of the shower. Regain the vip and vigor that used to spring up when you were young with Captain Jack's Rock Hard Erection Cream. Oh, yes! Yes! Stop. Friends don't let friends drink and dial. Get the drunk dial directory. This phone guide offers you OPP, other people's past pleasures. There's no need to call your ex when you can call someone else's and score. Allowing you 12 degrees of separation. Call someone you don't know. It's the right number in the wrong person. Or is it? That's right. The DDD. Thousands of numbers available to fulfill your late night needs. Why spend money on dating services? Spend your time and hard-earned money at the bar. And then after you're sloshingly drunk like a Kennedy, grab the DDD. Get your late night piece of ass. 99% chance of instant gratification guaranteed. Let's hear from Susie and John, two satisfied customers. Before Drunk Dial Directory, I never slept with strangers. Thank you, Drunk Dial Directory. After last call, my first call is with the DDD. To order your, his or hers, Drunk Dial Directory, call 1-800-GET-SOME for just three easy, and we mean easy, installments of just $19.95, plus $287 for shipping and handling. Now available in Cheetah. <laughs> Sponsored in part by our friends at LightSwitchCondoms.com, when beauty is only a bulb away. And we are back. You're listening to Blunt with Rich and Caroline on Renegade Talk Radio. In studio, we have Derry Matera on the line. We have Michael Franzese. If you want to give us a call, if you have any questions, you can reach us at 866-473-2170. And, Michael, I had a question. Um, Jimmy Hoffa, whatever happened to him? I mean, that's always been that's always been a big uh, thing uh, around this country as to what happened to Mr. Hoffa. So do you have any comment on that? 
You know, it's funny. That's another major question. I'm, I was doing the um, speaking to the NBA rookies back in September about gambling. I do them every year. Mm-hmm. And when it's over, I always open it up for Q&A. So I got 90 of these, you know, big, tall, uh, hotshot rookies sitting there, all nice guys. And I said, all right, guys, any questions? And they're all looking at each other. Nobody wants to ask the first question. I guess they don't understand what they could ask me. So I said, come on, guys. You don't want to know where Jimmy Hoffa was buried or all, where all my money is and how come I'm still alive. Every hand in a place went up. <laughs> we could ask this guy anything. And uh, Jimmy Hoffa is always a, uh, a question. And I tell him, listen, one thing you can be sure of, number one, he's not in the Meadowlands. And number two, they'll never find his body. Because so. the fish ate him. That's it. <laughs> How'd that rumor get started that he was buried under Giant Stadium? I have no idea. In the end zone, right? In the end zone. Yeah, right? I mean, rumors get started, and, uh, you know, they have legs. Isn't there, I, I was reading in the paper a few weeks ago that there's a house in, uh, I think, in Jersey that um, the guy who lived there before said he was involved in the murder, and it was done in that house. The house has passed hands and ownership several times, and now the feds are actually finally seriously looking at it. Hmm. So you Could never be. know. Never know. What about a uh, Bulger in Boston? Uh, who is that? The, Whitey uh, Bulger. Whitey, the uh, the guy that killed a million people. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> uh, I never came across him. Yeah. Never came across him. I do know this though. I, I um, you know, other than my experience with a, a group of Irish um, guys out of uh, New York, they were called the Westies. Um, it was rare that we ever got involved with outside groups to do things. So um, I'll only tell you that. It's pretty so territorial, my, right? Yeah, in my experience, we did things. We took care of business in-house mm-hmm. and uh, didn't go outside for obvious reasons. I mean, you know, every time you go outside to do things, you're exposed. Well, the, the, Italians, who, the Italians ran Boston. Whitey was just a splinter. But uh, who was that? I'm trying to think. It was a famous Italian boss who ran the Boston New England area. Patriarcha. Patriarcha family, yeah. right. They were the ones in control. Right. And Whitey was just selling them out to the feds, and that's how he survived. Yeah, well, I, I didn't have any contact with him, so I, I don't really know what the story is. Didn't read the book, so. Um. Didn't read my book? <laughs> I, I read that in my book. Didn't you read uh, The FBI's Most Wanted? Uh, Did I well. send you that? Next question. Speaking <laughs> of that, did you get just John yes. Dillinger? Yeah, I actually got it uh, last week, and I'll be away for a couple of days next week, and, and that's my reading material. So. Did you see? Thanks for the quote on the back. Yeah. That was good. That was nice. Thank you. <laughs> hey, Michael, of all the money, that the millions of dollars that, yeah, that you stole through all these different type of uh, deals that you did, whatever happened to all that money? It's gone. I mean, <laughs> it's gone. Okay. Cammy yeah. spent it. Cammy spent a yeah. billion dollars. My wife spent it while I was away. You know, they, uh, it's gone. I mean, there's, there's theories abound as to where it's all buried, and I'll let Barry, Darry address that. Sorry, Darry. I got a good friend, Barry, also, so I keep messing you guys up. But, um, uh, you know, there's theories all over the place. But let me tell you something. You know, when you get on the wrong side of feds, I mean, they go through you like Grant went through Richmond. And, and you know, I had <laughs> restitution and lawyers and, you know, seven years in prison and expenses. I mean, you know, I got a family. I got seven kids. I mean, it's it's been it's been rough on that end. Believe me. I bet it has. Yeah. Michael, I'm going to ask you the mushy woman question. Sure. I know uh, you and your wife have a pretty nice love story. And, uh how did that come about? What was it about her that made you turn your life around? 
Well, you know, immediately uh, when I saw her, I mean, I was very attracted to her. She was beautiful. So, I mean, that, that was the first. It's always a physical thing, I think, at first. And uh, so she caught my attention right away. And I, I met her on a movie set where, you know, things, uh, it was a dance movie. So we had a lot of people that we brought in there from Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, things are on, on a movie set are always kind of wild and exciting, so to speak. And and she just held herself a little bit differently. She had a little more integrity, and I was attracted to that too. And just got to know her and uh, fell in love with her. I mean, she was she was very special. And how wh- how did she convince you? Was it uh, was it a matter of her convincing you to leave that life behind, or were you at a point where you were ready to? And she was kind of a catalyst in that. Yeah, I mean, she was a catalyst. I mean, I had never. I mean, the thought of leaving the life was not even on my radar screen. I never even thought of that. It wasn't a. It wasn't a, an option. Uh, I had no intention of doing that. And then after meeting her and realizing, I fell in love with her. And I said, you know, this is uh, my lifestyle is definitely uh, in conflict to what she believes and, and what she was going to be able to deal with. So she never gave me an ultimatum. Hey, do this or else. But I just knew that it wasn't going to work. And, you know, she kind of put the wheels in motion for me to start to think about how I could separate myself from the life. And, the, and that's really what it was in the beginning. All right, let me try to quietly move away. And, you know, that's one of the reasons I took the plea. I figured I'll, I'll take a plea, get 10 years in prison. I'll do five, six, or seven. I'll move out to California. I get out of prison. I'm going to have parole. Then they're going to slap some probation on. So for 15 years, I'm kind of hands off because you can't really associate when you're on parole or probation. I said, maybe after that time, everybody will forget about me. And I, I had originally intended this to be a quiet move. But I made the mistake of, of uh, giving an interview to someone at Life magazine, and, you know, th- that kind of changed everything around. And then the, uh, you know, that Norby Walters case popped out of nowhere, so to speak, and that brought a lot of attention on me. And, and everything changed. It became very public. Then I showed up, too, right? Then Darry showed up and, you know, <laughs> quitting the mob and... And the feds were mad at that, threw me back in prison. So I mean, hey, Michael, do you think uh, do you think Hollywood will ever do a movie about your life? You know, they've optioned my story throughout the years. I can't tell you how many times. And you know, every couple of months, I get another call from a production company. And, and I'm I'm talking. I mean, we, we've had this uh, Universal optioned it, CBS optioned it for a miniseries. There's always interest in it. It's never gone the distance. Um, for whatever reason, and I think there are more internal reasons at the studios or the production companies. But right now, there's somebody from Mel Gibson's company looking at it, and they, they seem to have a lot of interest. Um, and we'll see what happens. You know, if it's meant to be, it'll happen. And, you know, if it's not, it's not. It's To me, it's it's kind of immaterial at this point. How, how would that make you feel if they did a movie about you? How would you You know, I'd be, I'd be concerned about it. I've I've turned down... Deals where I didn't think that it would it would be steered in the right direction. I certainly I don't see any reason to make another exploitative, so to speak, mob story. I mean, if if somebody wanted to make my story, I think they have to tell the whole story, and that's you know the transformation, and and, and I think it would need to be faith based, or there would be no interest in my doing it. So, um, is there a possibility that could that could dredge up some bad memories uh, for other people that could be really be pissed off at you? Well, you know, anytime you you always run that risk. When you throw yourself out there, you always run that risk. And yeah, I mean, somebody could say, "Hey, you know what? We don't appreciate this guy coming around again." I mean, that's always a thought and always a concern. That's why I have to be careful as to how these things ultimately turn out. But um, 
you know, so I mean, I, I'm watchful of that, and and hopefully uh, that won't be the case. I mean, I don't think they can do this without me, you know, being a part of it. So I, I don't think I have to worry about that. Yeah, Michael. Another thing I'm asked a lot is uh, the story on Cammy. Was it? I kind of laughed when Caroline here, who's another beautiful lady with a Latin <laughs> name, but. You should say her, but anyway. Oh, go on. I, I, I kind of <laughs> laughed because when she asked you what you felt about her, I mean, the struggles I had to write that love story in the book, I ended up doing it all through Cami and just switching the voice, and we were serialized in Cosmopolitan magazine, and they took the whole love story. So the question I'm, I'm asked a lot is, Michael and Cami still together, and how's their relationship today? Well, we're still together. It's uh, it's going to be 19 years in July, and uh, we have four children. Uh, still very much in love. Of course, our, I'm, I'm still I'm happy to say that I'm extremely attracted to her, so she keeps herself very fit, and so the physical part is as strong as it ever was. Um, obviously, we've, we've matured in our relationship. I mean, people do that. and we, we went through our ups and downs never to a point where we were ever in jeopardy. But, you know, people change and they get older. And Cammie's not that little 19-year-old girl anymore. I mean, she's a, she's a complete woman. So, you know, things change, Derry. But, uh, look, we're going to be together until the end. I mean, there's no doubt in either of our minds for that. And, and we're happy. So, um, you know, when you were trying to get these things out of me, Derry, it was very difficult for me to talk about my, you know, yeah. my love life with my wife. He was asking me these questions. Do you remember that time when you came running around the house and you were all excited because I finally came home and we could talk? And I said, pack up your stuff and get out of here. Yeah, yeah, she got mad, too, because I was asking. But I had to, I think you understood now, I had to colorize and do the story. We would laugh because I'd say, Michael, well, what was she wearing that first time he'd see her? And he'd say, I don't know. So I'd have to run to Cammie. <laughs> Men never she knew everything. Yeah. She's all never know. Lil she would describe the color, the <laughs> shoes, and it was beautiful. And, and the, th the third, the, the last third of the book, he sounds like the most sensitive and loving gangster in history. <laughs> because it was all coming from Cammie. I mean, nice. it sounds like Michael knew every shoe size she was wearing, every make, everything. It was Beautiful story. Well, Michael, it must have been really hard on your marriage when you were away. It, it was very difficult, especially the second time around. The first time we were prepared and uh, things were easier, um, believe it or not, in that four years. But the second time was extremely difficult because I was we were totally unprepared. Never thought I'd be going back to prison. Um, you know, it was very public uh, with my walking away. Things are very sensitive. I, I remained in lockdown for uh, just about three years, and they shipped me to various places, so I wasn't in any one place long enough to get comfortable. And, you know, we had financial issues at the time. The government was coming down on, on both myself and Cami for uh, my restitution because they were upset with me. So it was extremely difficult and very stressful for Cami at the time, no question. That's one hell of a woman to stick by you through all, all of Oh, that. absolutely. You know, she uh, she's a real trooper. And, and, you know, her mom, who was very supportive of us at the time, helped her out a lot. She passed away now a couple of years ago. But, uh, you know, you, you need support in cases like this. And um, and we had it. But even with that, I mean, you know, look, you know, prison uh, marriage relationships, uh, you know, are not too good. They don't last. And for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. And it, it's a real blessing that we made it through. What did she? What was her reaction when you met her and you told her who you were, really were? Well, until today, I never really told her. 
you know, it, it, it's funny. It's the oddest thing in the world. People thought, you know, how could you be oblivious to this? But keep in mind, here's this young Latin girl, Mexican girl from Orange County. The only contact she ever had with any kind of mob was watching the movie The Godfather. She didn't know anything about anything. Where, where did you meet her at? I met her on a movie set in South Florida. We were filming a breakdance movie, and she was one of the dancers that we brought in from Florida, to, uh, from L.A., to dance in the movie. And she was 19 years old, had no real perception of mob life, never been to New York, never visited the East Coast. So she didn't know anything about it other than what she saw in The Godfather. And until today, I have never sat down with her and said, okay, this is what I did, and so on and so forth. She's never read the book. Uh, she won't read. She said there's things in there she doesn't need to know. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's how she kind of deals with it. I mean, she doesn't make believe it's not there, don't get me wrong, but she doesn't need to know all these things. She prefers to know... <laughs> to know the Michael that she's known for 19 years, and, uh, and uh, that's it. Now, uh, you said you have seven children? I have seven. I have three from uh, first marriage. And do they know anything about your former life, or how do you? Because you're obviously a pretty prominent public speaker. They may have come across um, some, some of your things in Derry's book. How do you explain to them the, the life you led before? Well, they know everything. I mean, mm. my, my three from New York um, dealt with it a lot more in their earlier life because we were so public in New York and, you know, there was so many things out there and, and I knew so many people. So they, they really knew the whole story. And my children now know everything because I've got two books out there and I'm on television and radio quite often. Their friends talk to them about it. They think it's pretty cool. <laughs> comes in real handy with my daughters because the guys just know straight out that they're not messing with the friends. Yeah, they're petrified girls. of you. Oh, yeah, when they come over to the house, uh, you know, I get them right away. I say, come on, let's go for a walk. I know, right? All you have to say is, I know where Jimmy Hoffa is, and I will put you there, too. Well, I tell them, listen, I'm, I'm He's not got from... beautiful daughters, too. Man, yeah, knockouts. I've been blessed. I tell them, listen, I'm not from uh, L.A., I'm from Brooklyn, so here's how it's going to go with my daughter, and, and they get it right away. So. <laughs> my father used to do the same thing. So you, yeah. have a you, so you have a great relationship with your daughters, then? I do. I mean, you know, it, it was it was difficult with my. I have two older daughters from my first marriage and a boy, and it, you know, it was difficult as as in any divorce situation. And mine was complicated by the fact that I was taken away and you know was in prison for so many years, and and the contact uh, that I would have liked to had with them was was not that great. Mm -hmm. But over the years, um, it's it's gotten so much better, and we're all pretty pretty happy about it right now. So. There was a, there was another thing a few years ago. I think I was even in town for this. Uh, all of a sudden, you were coaching your son in little league and coached an all star team and got pretty far. And then one day, there was a front page story in all the Los Angeles papers about the the mobster who was coaching little league. Now that was an experience for you. It just exploded on you, right? It just out of nowhere. I mean, it, uh, actually, a New York Times uh, reporter wrote a story about me. It was around All-Star time, and I think they thought it was a, a good story that this former mob guy was coaching a Little League team to the All-Stars. And he wrote a story that just exploded. I mean, ESPN picked it up and did a 15-minute mm. piece, and then it was on the front page of the L.A. papers out here. And what was the headline? Do you remember? What was the headline? Uh, mob Boss, a Ballpark Hit. <laughs> <laughs> now, did, did, did a lot of the kids' parents know who you were before that came out? Well, they didn't until that came out. I mean, was, you know, it was... Uh, and it was amazing because the great thing about it for me is that everybody just reacted wonderfully to it. I had been in the league for about five years up to that point, so I knew everybody and I had a lot of the kids with me. And when it came out, you know, 
this is uh, L.A., so, you know, a lot of people thought it was kind of cool. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it was funny because they, uh, HBO and ESPN and the local news cameras, they called. They wanted to come down to film one of our games. And I said to them, hey, no way. You know, you contact the league, and I don't want, you know, I don't want you guys down there. I don't want to disrupt what I got going on. There's families. It's personal. Well, they contacted the league, and the league said, hey, bring all the cameras down. Come on <laughs> oh, down. No. All the parents started giving them interviews, and it turned into, I said, wow. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Yeah, the kids were, everybody was excited. No, the kids probably thought it was the coolest thing ever. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Michael, we have to go. We really appreciate you being on uh, Renegade Talk Radio and talking to us about your life. Um, We thank you very much for the interview. And I guess we'll have you on uh, another time, Derry? Yeah, we can have him on. Uh, Nice talking to you. That was great as usual. Smooth as always. <laughs> Smooth criminal. I think Michael Jackson wrote, wrote that, that song, song about, about you. Michael. Thank you so much, Michael. Well, thanks for having me, and uh, we'll do it again. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. We'll be okay. right back. So long. So long. The number one internet shock radio network. Fuck you. Renegade Talk Radio. Fuck the FCC. Yeah, you know me. Fuck the GOP. Yeah. Shock and no FCC. Renegade.
Renegade. Renegade. Attention parents of young children. Does your child have problems with stammering, stuttering, and mumbling? Go ahead and read it, honey. The cow jumped over the moon. Then he needs help. And finally, there's a tape series your stuttering child will completely understand. It's called Rockin' to Phonics. With Rockin' to Phonics, your child will learn correct word and sentence structure from rock legend Ozzy Osbourne. Listen as Ozzy teaches the ABCs and proper American diction. No matter what level of learning disability your child has, Rock and the Phonics will keep them occupied for hours. Plus, you'll hear for yourself that there can be a future for your little stuttering, stammering bastard. Order Rock and the Phonics today. To order, have three credit cards ready. Call 888 stuttering kid. Call out. Hiya, folks. Lester Bozamp here for the Pussy Warehouse. The Pussy Warehouse. Whatever you need for your cat, it's right here at the Pussy Warehouse. The Pussy Warehouse. Pussy cleaning supplies, pussy food, pussy blankets. We get new pussy every day. And say, does that box stink? You. The Pussy Warehouse has everything you need to make sure your pussy smells fresh. The Pussy Warehouse. When you're looking for pussy. Yes, that's right. When you're looking for pussy, look to the Pussy Warehouse and tell them Lester Bosamp sent you. Who? who? Bosamp. Lester. Lester Bosamp. Who? Lester Bosamp. Huh? I said Bosamp, you stupid fucker. Pussy Warehouse. Attention people who can't draw. Are you the type of person that couldn't even draw a stick man? Are you looking for just the right graphics for your company logo, t-shirt, or webpage design? Or something for a presentation? Well, if you're looking for cutting-edge or traditional looks, your search stops here. Let Ben and Jamie design your idea and bring it to life at Freaky Deaky Designs. Freaky Deaky Designs, specializing in all your graphic needs. And if it's a custom tattoo you're looking for, let Freaky Deaky Designs create what you want and provide your favorite tattoo artist with your creation. Freaky Deaky Designs, your cost-effective graphics alternative. To contact, email FreakyDeakyDesigns at Hotmail.com. That's Freaky with two E's, Deaky with two E's, Designs at Hotmail.com. Freaky Deaky Designs, professional graphics at rookie prices. He was a hit in England. He's sold more records than Boxcar Willie. Now, you'll love to hear him sing rock, rap, and dance hit songs of today as Slim Whitman rocks. You'll hear Slim crank out hits like... Oh, nothing at elevator. Figuring up when I'm going down. Loving an elevator. Feeling I'm up when I'm going down. And wait till you hit the dance floor to this hot number. Can't touch the hits. Catch up this. Catch up this. Grease back your hair with Grecian formula and put on a silly sport coat for Slim Whitman Rocks. Send 1999 to 2029 Porter Wagner Lane, Nashville, Tennessee. Slim Whitman Rocks, only on Vice Grit Records. <laughs> I thought he was going to shit. <laughs> Oh, 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 oh,
We are back. You're listening to Blunt with Rich and Caroline on Renegade Talk Radio. We have Derry Matera in studio. We just talked to Michael Franzesi. Wonderful, wonderful interview. Interesting guy. We'll have him on again. And on the line now... As Henry Hill. We're going to bring Henry Hill on from Goodfellas fame. And Henry, uh, good morning and welcome to Blunt uh, with Rich and Caroline on the Renegade Talk Radio Network. And uh, Derry Matera is here with us along with Caroline and myself. How are you doing today? Great. How are you doing, guys? Pretty good. Hanging in. How's, everything, how's everything with you? Just wonderful. Couldn't be better. Are you, uh, did they judge you sane again, Henry? Or are you still insane? I am, I'll always be insane. So <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> not as crazy as I used to be. Just a little insane. So the doctor says you're all right. Is that doctor thing like we see in The Sopranos? Are you sitting there like Tony Soprano with your psychiatrist? I just left my psychiatrist. Right. She's crazy as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> oh, it's a woman too, just like oh, Tony Soprano, right? And that's, like Tony Soprano. <laughs> and that's weird because the woman who played Karen in Goodfellas plays Tony Soprano's psychiatrist on the yeah, show. Poetic justice, isn't yeah. it? Something to that effect. <laughs> oh, I didn't even know that. Yep, She's the one uh, who played his wife. Lorraine, you know Lorraine Bracco. Did yeah. you know that? <laughs> Henry, did you know that? Yeah, oh, yeah, of course. Oh. Wow, that's news to me. And then there's another character where in the movie uh, the waiter is serving drinks, I think, and mm -hmm. then um, the one that gets shot in the foot. Yeah, Joe Pesci. Spider. I think that was Tommy shoots Spider. him. Spider yeah. shoots him in the foot. Yeah, he plays in The Sopranos as uh, Tony's uh, cousin. Sure. <laughs> and then uh, yeah, there's quite a few of them. So tell us, tell us about your new book. My new book is Gangsters and Goodfellas: uh, The uh, The Mob, Witness Protection, and Life on the Run. So uh, it's uh, you know it's been 25 years uh, since I've left you know left the, that world and uh, went into uh, the witness protection program, which I didn't last 25 years. Uh, you know, let me tell you. You know, first off, I want to start with I, I you know I, listen I, I I own my past. I certainly am not proud of my past. You know I, you know, uh, but I have to own it because it's a part of me. You know, and uh, and <laughs> you know, there's no way to erase that. But, uh, you know, I'm not that person today, you know, and, you know, and I started a process 25 years ago, and I'm, I'm far from perfect. You know, I, uh, I've done a lot of crazy things and nutty things while I was out of that life, you know, and broke the Lord, you know, not, not like some guys in that, that come from that state of yours, but, <laughs> yeah. 
But, you know. <laughs> hey, Henry. Jerry. hey, Henry, let me ask you a question. Uh, the movie, Goodfellas, was that closely assembled to your life? I would say it was 95% on the money. Really? What part? What parts of it were not? Well, you know, uh, parts of my girlfriend, there was two girls in my life, you know, other than my wife, and they put them, they combined them with one, you know. There was a, they took creative liberties that Hollywood did, but not too much. You know, it was, a, it was basically a true story. I don't think it glamorized the mob. You know, a lot of pe- some people think it did. I don't. Myself, you know, I lived in fear every single day of my life when I was in that world. I don't live in fear today, and I didn't since uh, from the day I went into the witness protection program. Yeah, the performance of Joe Pesci in that movie was just absolutely hysterical. I mean, we were we've been playing it all week, of course, to <laughs> pr- promote that. It, it was just that part of the movie was just really cool. And the other part I thought was really cool was when the the heist of the Lufthansa. The Lufthansa. Lufthansa, yeah. yeah, and uh, De Niro screaming at that one mobster about buying the new car. That was hilarious. Johnny Rose Beef, yeah. yeah. He killed him and his wife, uh, be, you know, because of it. And it, that truth that happened. Oh, really? They, oh, they were murdered over that? Oh, yeah, sure. Oh. It was 11, 11 guys and two females murdered over that, out of over that heist. How, how were you involved in that heist? Did you know about that heist? Well, or? sure. I, uh, well, basically, I was the one that Martin Krugman brought to me when I first got out of prison. And everybody else was away. So I basically set it up with Burke. In fact, I did set it up with Burke. Burke. <laughs> Henry, how did you survive Burke's uh, mad, crazy reign of killing everybody else involved in that? That's you know, I often I want I often wonder about that. You know, I I knew Burke, uh, you know, 20 years prior to that. I knew how he thought. You know, I knew every uh, I knew the moves he would make. You know, and uh, I knew that I was going to get whacked eventually. I mean, there was no doubt in my mind. You know, I walked through the raindrops. I you know I had the Something on my side, you know, good karma. I don't know what it was. I couldn't, you know, give you the answer to that. I was, it was luck, smarts. I don't know what it was. You know, uh, he was a, he was a very intelligent people. Those people are very treacherous and intelligent. You know, it, for what they do. You know, and to me, I, you know, I, I constantly wonder about how how I was so fortunate and how I was blessed to you know to be alive today. I never never in a million years would have thought that I'd lived to be this, this age that I am, and I never thought that I could possibly, possibly, uh, you know, survive not getting whacked, even if I wasn't involved with that robbery, you know, and, you know, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a miracle that I'm here today. You know, it's, it is. I mean, I know the description of it. It's surreal. You know, Henry, in the movie where, where uh, Joe Pesci, who is Tommy, I think, yes, plays that part, and they take out the Gambino guy in the bar, what, what was that all about? Okay, the guy, the guy went away for six years, right. uh, Billy Betts. Uh, when he come home, uh, Jimmy had moved in on his Sherlock and business, and on his bookmaking business, took over a lot of his stuff. Now, this guy was a made guy. Uh-huh. Now, this guy comes back to the neighborhood, come back, you know, comes back to his old place, and Jimmy's got most of his old business, you know, which, you know, I mean, he was out there for grabs, and he took it. And he didn't like it. That was the, under, that was the undertow of that whole murder that this guy wanted what belonged to him. Like, you know, like in the Sopranos, they're fighting over territory. Right. He, was, he was claiming his territory, even though he was not there. Did he? You know, he felt, Henry, so did he humiliate the, the Joe Pesci character? Like absolutely, the, no, no, he did. He did. He did. He, he, he humiliated Tommy on two occasions. All humiliated. And, you know, was joking with him, humiliation. You know, those guys have tremendous egos. 
you know, in the slightest thing. You know, Tommy was Tommy was a homicidal maniac. He would rather kill. <laughs> I mean, seriously. I mean, he was. He would kill at the you know the drop of a hat over nothing. You know, over a bed shine on your shoes. You see what he did this. You know, to uh, to uh, to you know it's to the spider. spider. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, and he was he was capable of doing that. You know, on a, on a weekly basis, sometimes twice a week. You know, in, in you the know? Mo- in the movie Henry, where where Joe Pesci, Tommy is is um, kidding around with you, saying you think I'm fucking funny and you fuck you and all that. It yeah, seemed to me, looking at that character, the way Ray Liotta played it, that you were scared to death. Well, let me tell you something. When when they did that shot, uh, Ray Liotta knew nothing about it. Joe Joe Pesci had told Marty, "Listen, I seen something that went on in a restaurant years ago. This wasn't in the script." And he said, you know, he says, I'm going to, I'm going to do it on this scene. So Marty says, go with it. You know, really had, had no idea that this was coming down. So this was all improvised. Wow. wow. And Ray Liotta had nothing, to, you know, had had no idea that he was going to do that. Well, his face, which is he's betraying you, he looks scared to death. And I, I just enjoyed that part of the movie, mm. the way Pesci comes That's, off. It's funny. I think the best part is when it finally begins to dawn on Henry that I can... Turn. He's either going to shoot me in the head, or I can turn this around right now. And he's go, and he's just like, "Fuck you, Tommy." <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes after the then, then then Tommy goes after the waiter, doesn't he? The waiter comes over. Huh? Yeah, the waiter comes over with the check, and that's the way it used to be. We never paid in those places. Right. You know, we you know, and the guy wanted him to be the godfather of his kid. You know, he says, you know, fuck, I'll charge you thirty thousand or something to, <laughs> right? you know, to be your godfather. You know, but I mean, we didn't pay in places like you know, you know like that. You know, we'd run up tabs. Uh, you know, some places we played. If, you know, if they belonged to us, they they, they were our places. But uh, most of the places we didn't pay. Henry, did you, you have know, any? Have Henry, did you have any connections to the Philadelphia mob with Atlantic City? Uh, not really. Yeah, we was in prison when Atlantic City opened. Uh, we was in Atlantic. Uh, I was doing time in uh, Allenwood. I got moved there, and Jimmy. I got Jimmy moved over to Allenwood, and we went there for seven. The, the week that they opened, we went there for seven days on a JC convention. Believe it or not, <laughs> <laughs> we, was out, we was out of prison in Atlantic City, going back to Brooklyn every night, negotiating over the uh, the bartenders' unions, and uh, you know we was they were whacking it up at that time. And everybody was putting their claims in. And we were going back and forth to Brooklyn, sitting down with Paulie and whoever we had to sit down with, going back to Atlantic City, you know, a couple hours later. I mean, it was a joke. Yeah, I and mean, we, was, we was doing prison time, at, federal prison time, at this, you know, about that time. Now, Henry, you got involved in drug trafficking. What got you involved in that, and why was Paul Vario so against it? He was, you want to know something? He was against it, wink, wink. You know, uh, he Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Don't get caught. Basically, don't get caught. Why was I involved in it? Because... Uh, it was easy money, real easy money. I mean, there was weeks that I was making, uh, you know, thirty, forty thousand a week, mm-hmm. a week, my end. You know, so the, the amounts of money were, were you know, they were. Uh, I mean, you know, it was just mind-boggling. You know, and you didn't have to do nothing. You know, it, it wasn't like unloading four forty-foot trailers of uh, of swag. It was like taking two shoe boxes, you know, and moving it. You know, and it was a lot easier. You know, a lot less. We was doing it wholesale. It was heroin and coke. You know, mostly heroin. And, you know, it was it was intoxicating, that amount of money. Now, do you think the feds went after you just for the drug trafficking part or as a way to kind of move up into into racketeering charges towards everybody else? No, the feds didn't arrest me. The state, I mean, the county of Nassau arrested uh-huh. me. I had no idea that, the, you know, that the, the feds didn't care about the drugs. Mm-hmm. They were after the solving the offense robbery and finding out, you know, getting to the bottom of it. I had no, I mean, I had no idea. We, I, we was being followed by about five different agencies. There was about 150 law enforcement on us 24-7. 
and I knew that at that period. But I didn't think, you know, I, I you know, seen them follow me. I thought I was smarter than them, obviously. You know, they had my, my phones tapped, the phones in the bar tapped, my girlfriend's phone tapped. You know, and this, uh, and on the, on these wiretaps, they had Paulie's name. I mean, uh, uh, Jimmy's name. Paulie's name was mentioned quite a bit. Jimmy was on the phone constantly with me. Uh, Peter Vario, who was Paulie's son, was a partner in the drug business. So when I got arrested by the, by Nassau County and, and received his 35, and, and my partner's son is the one that gave us up on the drugs. Mm. Uh, is he still yeah. alive today? No, he was killed. He was killed. Was in Brooklyn, yeah. <laughs> my, my, my partner ordered his death while we were locked up. Now, now, now they knew. I knew if we went to trial, our thirty-five hundred material would have to be released, and it was Paulie's son all over it, Jimmy Burke all over it, myself, and a lot of other people that wasn't supposed to be in the drug business. Wink, wink. You know, mm-hmm. and <laughs> so, so I knew I was a dead man the minute I knew I was a dead man in the minute. I got so the, the majority of these people that you dealt with over the over those years, they're mostly all dead. Yes, they all are dead. Uh, and but what Nassau County wanted, they had. We used to talk about the big Irishman on the wiretaps. Mm-hmm. Nassau County's district attorney's office thought that we were talking about, uh, you know, the candidate Mr. Carey. His brother lived next door to Paul Vario in Island Park on the water. Oh wow! And they thought we were talking about him. <laughs> they thought and you were talking about John Carey's brother. Correct. No, no I, uh, yeah, about John Carey. Oh. You know, you know, in relation to his brother. He was a senator at the time or something, you know, he was in, in politics at the time. And they they were dead bent on, make, you know, trying to get me to say it was Kerry, you know, when we referred to the Irishman. That's how whacked out they were, the district attorney's office. And I refused to, and they indicted myself, my wife, my sister-in-law, anybody they could, trying to get me to, you know, and I said, you know, it's not him, you know, it, was, uh, it, it wasn't him. You know, and, at that, and even when I started cooperating with the government, when I started cooperating with the government, they still fought the government and they fought, you know, myself, saying, no, we know this is Kerry. I mean, that's how, that, that's how crazy they were. And, and, and sure that it was the, uh, you know, this, the candidate today. So how's, was, the, how's the book doing today? It's doing excellent. It's, uh, it's in the second printing. It's, uh, first printing was uh, 35,000 copies. In the second printing, they sold out already. And it's, it's, it's doing unbelievable, unbelievable. It should hit the bestsellers list. I bet it's a lot more entertaining than Bill Clinton's book. <laughs> I don't know. He's got some nice stuff in his book. <laughs> Henry, what you talk about in this new book that people would probably find interesting is they put you in the witness protection program, and they took a street tough little gangster from Brooklyn or New York, and they put you in Omaha, Nebraska. So how was that life? Uh, it was a cultural shock. And didn't you <laughs> stick out? Didn't you stick out didn't there? Like a sore thumb. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little about how you, how, what kind of life you experienced in Omaha, Nebraska. Well, first of all, what, what was I doing? A nice, you know, my, my wife and children were Jewish and they were practicing Jews, you know, which they put us into an area where there was a Jewish community center, which wasn't too bad. There was a couple of uh, token Jews in the, you know, in the area. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I mean, it was, uh, I mean, it was, I was certainly out of place, certainly out of place. And, you know, people used to ask me on a constant, you know, what do you, the second question out of my, well, hello, what's your name? What do you do for a living? So I says I was an arson inspector. You know? 
I have, a, you know, I have a little background in Austin, so. <laughs> so you're a little knowledgeable yeah, about just, it. Just a little knowledgeable. <laughs> so, well, how hard? Go ahead. Henry, how hard during this period? You, you, they moved you around to all these cow towns, Kentucky. How hard was it for you to say, hey, I'm Henry Hill, the guy from Goodfellas? Every time I'd get drunk and coked up, I would, I would run my mouth. <laughs> so you let that slide, too. Well, you know, uh, you know, I, I don't know. You know, I was, I was insane. You know, I used, I used to tell people who I was, you know, under the influence. And, uh, you know, that's why, you know, I left the Witness Protection Program, I guess, in 87, really officially. But I must have been thrown out five or six times, you know, prior to that. Hey, Henry. And I had to go, yes, sir. Henry, why did they make the movie about you? What, what, why, where'd that come from? You want to know something that beats the hell out of me? I mean, who would have ever? That was the last thing. In the, first of all, the last thing in the world I ever thought there would be a book about. You know, the, I would write a book. The second was the movie that he was even more surreal than the book. Yeah. And then, and you know, and then for it to get, you know, to be a. One of the best, they consider one of the best hundred movies ever made. I mean, that blows my mind. I mean, you know, I, I, I can't spell. You know, I've got four books in the bookstore today. It's amazing. And I, and I still can't spell. <laughs> you can't spell. It's amazing. You know, we, uh, in, in fact, this past weekend here in Phoenix, and that's where we're based at, uh, out of, the movie was on. So Caroline uh, emailed me and said, the movie's on. And, and, you know, I always love the movie. And then I, I, I'm saying to myself, I'm going to interview the guy who they made the movie after. And I'm watching the movie very intent, in, intense. And it was just really cool. Now, the bad part of it was that it was on a, a basic cable station, so they cut mm -hmm. out all the good parts. Well, all the cursing, <laughs> all the cursing is cut out too. All that's cut out, but still, you know, on this radio station, you can say whatever you want because we're not FCC regulated. Yeah, we haven't heard you say "fuck" yet. That's so drop fucking it. great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can say. Howard got it turned around. Howard Stern got it turned around, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, the Stern situation. I think he's going to just uh, get more. Radio stations, I think he's signed more, nine more up, and what he's going to do is um, blow it out on the political arena, and as soon as his uh, contract is up, my feeling is he's going to go satellite. Yeah, that's what, that's what I, I also think. I, you know, I was on a show just recently, right. and I was in Vegas with him. But, you know, you know he, he, uh, he's bucking up against the bushes, and he's... <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. They got Al Capone a different way, and they, you know... <laughs> You know, in the states that uh, the states that he was booted out of, uh, you, you know, there's all borderline states. You know, so he's got to, you know, you know, it could be political. You know, who I, I don't know. You know, it's uh, it's too mind-boggling for me to you know even entertain. But he does have a, you know, he has a, you know, twenty uh, twenty million uh, you know viewers every day. Well, we're we're, we're the up and coming because uh, on Renegade we can do and say whatever we want. Nobody has any control over us at all. So you can say whatever you want. That's that's unbelievable. <laughs> okay, we have a caller on the line. Caller, where are you calling from, and what is your name? Hello, I'm calling from Jersey. Okay, what's your name? My name is Chuck. Hey, Chuck, would you like to say hi to Henry Hill? And what I questions? would. Henry Hill, you know, the movie Good This is not Chuck Zeno, is it? Hey, forget about it. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, um, you know, I love the movie. I, I grew up, and you know, that was the first mafia movie I ever saw. And I remember when I saw it, it wasn't even the, from the beginning. It was almost over. And I saw it, and I said, holy shit, I got to see this movie. So I went home, and I rented it, and I watched it. And every time I see it, it's on. But I was curious, how much of it is really... Um, and I don't know if you already talked about this because I just came on about ten minutes ago. But how much of it is truly, uh, you know, right to the T? Ninety-five percent of it is right to the T. You know, and we didn't glamorize it like I said earlier. You know, it was uh, that's the way it is. And you know, it's like The Sopranos. You know, it's most of that stuff is 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 based on reality. Right. I mean, that's the way it is. You know, I mean, you know, it's it's that's the way that life is. You know, and and it's not a real pleasant life. You know what I mean? A lot of people criticize me for what I've done. You know. 
I, you know, years ago it used to bother me. Today it doesn't. I'm proud of what I did, you know, for this country and for the, you know, the city of New York. And, you know, and I, you know, I put a good dent in organized crime. You know, That's hilarious, Henry. That's the best thing I've ever heard uh, you say. <laughs> <laughs> Henry, that was I'm good. I'm proud to be a rat. Listen, what do you want me to So when you, when, you were, when you were a kid growing up and uh, they came and said, hey, you know, here's a job for you. Mm-hmm. Um, did you know what was going to happen or where you could take it? Did, were you kind of excited to get mixed up with these people? Absolutely not. You know, I was dyslexic as a kid. You know, I'm still dyslexic as hell, and I have a hypertension deficit disorder, you know, and uh, I'm pretty screwed up, you know. And as a kid, we didn't know what that was. You know, in school, they used to make me stand in the hall. You know, I, uh, you know, three quarters of the day. Even in church, they used to pull me out because I couldn't sit still. You know, you know, being a dyslexic, I couldn't read, I couldn't write. I, a lot of things I couldn't understand. If it was in a picture form, I could understand it. You know, and, and they, they weren't aware of it at the time, you know. You know what was uh, you know uh, you know about that? They didn't know how to uh, handle you, you know, and they thought I was just a screw up. I used to get the shit beat out of me constantly by my fucking old man, but by the by the nuns, you know, by the you know by the teachers. I mean, I, I was getting fucking beat up everywhere. You know what I mean? Uh, so, uh, you know, I was picked on a lot because of, uh, you know, they thought I was stupid or they thought I was, a, you know, just a little wise ass, you know. But, uh, you know, in reality, I just didn't understand a lot of stuff. And those people, you know, when I went to work for them about you know, 10, 11 years old, they used to pat me on the fucking back, give me all kinds of money because I was doing these jobs that they asked me to do real simple. You know, it wasn't simple right. stuff, but it was stuff that I could do, you know, without picking up a book or without, you know, knowledge of, uh, you know, the, the way a normal person would think. You know, and I, you know, my whole set of values were completely opposite than, uh, you know, than the reality. And, you know, being in that subculture, it's a, you know, it's a whole different fucking world. You know, you're against society, period. And anything that, uh, you know, the government stands for and anything that, uh, that there's, there's no morality and nothing that those fucking people do. So, Henry, you know, these guys actually gave you your, your first real validation to make you feel important that you ever really had, right? That's what exactly. it sounds like you're saying. That's what I am saying, and it's exactly what happened. And that's, you know, because I often wonder why, you know, I came from a pretty, uh, you know, fairly normal family, you know, and back in those days, you know, blue collar family, my father was a wonderful guy. I mean, I realized this later on in life, you know, that all he wanted was the best for me, you know, and all I wanted to be was a fucking gangster at that time because these people accepted me. They didn't kick me in the fucking ribs and break my ribs two or three times a year, you know? So, so I mean, if I may, oh, I'm sorry, uh, Mr. Hill, you still living in Nebraska? Yeah, I lived in Nebraska for a while. Well, you're still there, huh? No, I'm not in Nebraska, no. You, well, you, you want to know something? I am in Nebraska sometimes. Okay, we have another caller on the line. Who are you and where are you calling from? Hey, name's Larry. Call him Cherry Hill. Hey, Larry, how you doing? Uh, I'm doing okay. I was listening to this guy. Yeah, you want to say hi to Henry Hill from Goodfellas? Uh, can he hear me? Yeah, yeah can I can hear you. How you doing, Henry? Pretty good. How you doing? I'm doing okay. I just wanted to ask you. You know, I'm, I'm listening to you. You, I, you know, I guess, uh, I guess I'm supposed to say congratulations. That book's evidently kicking ass. You in your second or third printing. You were saying a little bit ago. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And but the thing is, you know, I'm thinking, you know, you were a smart guy. Things uh, maybe didn't go a certain way, so you're making some money, uh, as you say, wink, wink, or however you put it earlier with the book. But uh, you know, I mean, obviously you guys are taken care of for all the previous, uh, all the previous ventures. I'm sure. Uh, as far as what you mean? As what, you far know, as uh, as far as the the nest egg, so to speak. Nest eggs. Yeah, uh, listen, you're telling me the only income you got in your life now is the damn book, or what? You want to know something? I've never worked so hard in my life. I I didn't leave that life with any kind of money. With any Nothing, kind of huh? Money. They got you. They squashed you all the way down, and then you now you come back to do the book. 
Well, I've done a few books. You know, I've done quite a few books, and uh, you know, and, and movies. No, I, I mean, I left that. I left that world. You know, with uh, with my fucking pots and pans. You know, yeah, I mean, until, I was uh, noticing, uh, they were asking some questions, and then you went from the right. the business author of the book to fucking fucking fucking. You started letting loose. I know they can say fucking on this station, so I enjoy saying it. You know, but I'm just. <laughs> You know, I don't know if something happened that uh, no, the fucking triggered government you. made me give every, everything back. I mean, you know, all the stuff that I had, you know, all the gains I had to give back. I mean, they, I left there literally with, uh, you know, a few dollars. Of my, uh, believe me, a few You seemed like a pretty good delegator at one time. You had nobody dig any holes and high things. Pardon? I wish I did. You know, uh, and if I did at all, it, and even if you me, did, you would tell me now, wake, wake. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Larry, uh, just uh, yeah. just uh, interrupt for a second. Henry, have you ever murdered anybody, or were you associate associated with any murders? I was associated with a lot of murders. I was present, and you know, I knew they were going down, but I never myself killed anybody. You know, personally, mm -hmm. I dug a, I dug a lot of holes. You know, and, you know, I'm not gonna, you know, I. I you know, they gave me transactional immunity, the same they gave Sammy the bull. You know, and I could admit to 20 murders if I did them. I did not, you know. People, people oh, you, think, you think what they did to Graziano, you think that, they, uh, you know what pissed me off about that? They did him, they did his son, but then they're making his, his wife and daughter look like they're all innocent. That was a true family operation, if you're asking me. Well, you know, I mean, obviously because they went to jail over it. You know, they, I think the hey, son and the only I, I know guys at the feds, they move Graziano all over the place to this day. You know, they they got him solitary everywhere he goes. I mean, you know, he's a marked man. Well, now, who is know. Graziano? You guys are talking some inside stuff here between Sammy the two. Sammy the Bull. Oh, Sammy yeah. the Bull. That's Gravano. Yeah, right? Gravano. That's Gravano. Hey, Larry. Hey, Larry, that's Gravano. Gravano. Graziano is the fighter. Gravano. I'm so sorry. Yeah, Rocky. Hey, hey Larry, Rocky. what kind of Christ fucking... Almighty. Hey, Larry, what kind of fucking dope are you smoking? <laughs> what did I say? Did I say Graziano? Graziano. You're talking a boxer. Sammy the Bull, Gravano. How am I going to sell a book if I don't get the last name right? You must be fucking dyslexic there, Larry. Jesus. Christ. Hey, Henry, I have a question for you. Speaking of Sammy the Bull, he uh, he was living out here in Phoenix for a while. Yeah, and, he got uh, popped in Phoenix. Yeah, he, right. was, uh, he was running a really big ecstasy ring yeah. um, while he was in witness protection. So, Henry, how did you manage to keep your nose clean when somebody like uh, Henry obviously couldn't? I mean, somebody like uh, Sammy obviously couldn't. Well, you know, I, I got into some trouble. I mean, uh, I, I literally got into a bunch of trouble in the, uh, you know, in the witness protection program. And I did get convicted for... Uh, on the drug charges, but I mean, uh, you know, I had no, I, not to the scale, you know, not to the, uh, not to the, uh, you know, the amount and whatever, you know, Samuel was doing, but I, I mean, it, you know, it's, it, it, believe me, it was a process for me, a process to get to where I am today. Today, I counsel kids, I speak at, you know, I speak at Quantico for, you know, you know, to FBI agents, I, I do a, a whoa, lot whoa, of whoa. you speak to the FBI agents about what? I teach out of Virginia. Yeah, down in Virginia. I, yeah, I you go teach in FBI agents? I teach FBI agents. I go all around the country. <laughs> you know, really? It's the truth. You know, 25 years ago, they were they were shooting at me. They, they were trying to kill me. <laughs> now they get up and clap. They get up and clap. Well, that, 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 <laughs> I'm going to tell you something. That needs to be broadcast. That's I like that better than watching that faggot uh, that played in Catch Me If You Can, you know, about Frank uh, making Yeah. <laughs> Some faggot playing. I'm sure Frank appreciated that. <laughs> That's funny. Well, thanks so yeah. much for calling, Larry. Hey, no problem. Larry, God thank bless you. you. Hey, listen, uh, you've you, you, you done gone full circle there, Mr. Henry. Larry, so, uh, Larry. You know what I'm saying, Mr. Hill? So you, God bless you, man. I'm going to – if I ever – are you going to be doing any book signings across the country, or are, you, are they going to let yeah, you do yeah. that? I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna, no, I can do it. I do it. You know, I'm out in the public now. You know, I uh, – I, I don't know if I'm going to be in the Phoenix area soon, but uh, I probably will uh, or speak at engagements. 
you know, I do. Well, there in Phoenix, I'm over Cherry Hill, Sophie. I mean, you've got to be up and down the coast, but I will definitely uh, search you out, and I'll, I'll say, hey, go, I'm go, the uh, guy that's on the Graziano from the radio show. <laughs> go, I think I'll make go, it on the Go on my website, and listen, my, where my appearances are going to be. You know, I do appear, you know, and do this, uh, you know, I got this pitch and spiel and, you know, and talk to the public. But uh, you can check my website, goodfellahenry.com. You know, you can email me and talk to me. Goodfellahenry.com. Yeah. I'll do that. Okay. Hey, nice God bless. Thanks, man. Okay, Larry, thank you for the call from Cherry Hill. And, Henry, we're going to take... Okay, go ahead. Uh, we're going to take a sh- uh, short break, a commercial break, and you're listening mm-hmm. to uh, the Renegade Talk Radio Network with Blunt, uh, Rich and Caroline, and, of course, Derry Matera. And we'll be right back. Henry, hold on. We'll be right back with you, okay? Thank you. You got it. Shock, shock, and more fucking shock. And no FCC. Renegade Talk Radio. You're thinking about a threesome, aren't you, baby? Better have another drink. Join us for Scotch and Water, and maybe we can do this more often. Every Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, right here on Renegade Talk Radio. Non-stop shock radio. The station that shocks you. Renegade Talk Radio. Did you know that 60% of traffic delays are not from too much volume on our nation's roadways, but from what traffic experts call non-recurring congestion? That's crashes, disabled vehicles, bad weather, or work zones. While motorists can control road or weather conditions, drivers can help reduce congestion by driving carefully, sharing the road, and taking better care of their vehicles. October 6th kicks off Drive Safely Work Week, a campaign to stress positive actions each driver can take to ensure their safety and the safety of others as they drive or commute to and from work. The Network of Employers for Traffic Safety reminds all motorists that safe driving is everyone's business and asks everyone to do their part by being focused and well-rested. Staying alert and attentive not only keeps you safe on the road, but also better positioned to defend yourself. Every 12 minutes in the United States, someone dies in a traffic crash. To ease congestion and prevent traffic problems, participate in this year's campaign. Visit trafficsafety.org. Are you swimming in bills and unpaid loans? Then why not call Ameridet up to my ass? Hello, thank you for calling Ameridet up to my ass. How may I help you? Hi, I've got creditors calling me for money and junk, and I was wondering if you could get rid of them for me. No problem, sir. Thank you for calling Ameridet up to my ass. Wow, thanks. By using Ameridet up to my ass, we'll contact all of your banks, utilities, lending institutions, collection agents, and get them all off your back. Hello. Thank you for calling Capital Two Bank. How may I repossess your car today? Yeah, how you doing? Hey, I'm calling from Ameridet up to my ass in reference to Mrs. Fitzwinkle. Oh, yes. She does owe us quite a considerable sum of money. Yeah, great. Well, listen, Pally. She's a dead up to her fucking ass, and she ain't going to pay the fucking bill, okay? You with me? Oh, well, don't worry about it then. I'll just erase her name from the computer, and we will forget that this whole ugly incident ever happened. Ameridet up to my ass works with all kinds of people to make sure they don't have to pay back all that money they borrowed from large greedy banks. I'm a modern woman who's always shuffling back and forth from different places where one can be. And while I do have plenty of money, I don't feel like paying any of it back. Thanks to a Meridet up to my ass, now I don't have to. Don't take matters into your own hands. Let the seasoned negotiation professionals at a Meridet up to my ass do it for you. Hey, look, you fucking fuck. I told you Mr. Johnson ain't paying his electric bill. Now go fuck yourself, all right, you monkey head. A Meridet up to my ass. Because even your responsible deadbeat losers deserve a second chance. 
Hi, kids. Man Matt here from the Killing Time program to discuss a crisis facing many young men at bars all across America. It's called Pickus Uppus Solo, or Lack of a Wingman. Friends don't let friends hit on chicks alone. Be a good wingman in these trying times and support your friend to scope, move in, speak with, and pick up women. With the help of one pal, our heroes will be positioned to bang more chicks. Remember, when one man scores, we all score. Brought to you by the makers of the Killing Time program and your real friends at the Wingman Foundation. Coming soon to an Iraqi stadium near you. It's the concert festival you've been dying to see. Lollapalooza. All of your favorite cutting-edge alternative terrorists on one stage for one explosive performance. Lollapalooza. See such genocidal artists as Muqtada al-Sadr. His deputy, Mustafa al-Yakubi. And 963 other names we can't even pronounce. If you want to see a concert tour that's complete, full of Shiites, you won't want to miss Lollapalooza. And coming later this summer, it's Gaza Fest, starring Osama Osborne. I am Iron Man. Do you know where your children are when they're surfing the web? The Internet's a great place for kids to learn and have fun. But with unwanted X-rated spam emails, pornographic websites, and Internet-initiated abductions, there's a dark side. In today's high-tech world, parents need to be net savvy. You can start with the National Research Council's new website, NetSafeKids, author and technology expert Robin Raskin. NetSafeKids.org is a great starting point for information on how to keep kids safe on the Internet. The information comes from experts, and the recommendations are backed by solid science-based research. The site answers important questions like how do pornography and predators reach kids and how can I protect my child? What about legal issues? You'll find a good discussion of First Amendment issues surrounding Internet pornography on the site, but you'll also find practical advice for parents, like how they can create Internet usage agreements with their children. Surveys show that one in four kids will see sexually explicit Internet pictures, so now is the time to visit netsafekids.org. That's all one word, netsafekids.org. Well, we're back. Uh, my name is uh, Rich with Caroline and, of course, Darian Matera, formerly of the Arizona Republic. You're listening to Blunt on the Renegade Talk Radio Network with our special guest, uh, Henry Hill. How the fuck are you, Henry? Hey, how the fuck are you guys? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Henry, next time you go on commercial radio, you're going to have to watch your mouth. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> you, might, you might get diseased by saying fuck too much. <laughs> hey, what the fuck is with this FCC? I mean, uh, are they backing off now or what? No, nah, no, they're not backing off. It's going to continue. They, uh, they're after Stern, as you well know, and they're trying to uh, uh, stop uh, what uh, radio is today over a black breast. But we're cool. We're internet only, so they have no control over us. Yeah, that, you know, that, that's fucking insane. It is, really. Yeah. Isn't that fucking insane? <laughs> hey, uh, Henry, let me ask you a question. Um, what, is, what was your relationship with Michael Franzese? Uh, I know him. I know him. I knew his father very well, you know, for a lot of years. His father just got out again, you know. Uh, I knew his father, you know, 20, well, 40 years ago, you know, his own man. And uh, Michael, I, you know, I know, uh, you know, I've met him, uh, I don't know, maybe one occasion or, or whatever, but, uh, uh, and he, uh, you know, he's a, he's a stand-up guy. Excuse me. That's all right. What was that? Uh, yeah, yeah, but I'm going to see you. Hey, call me back right now. Doing some business, Molly. Doing some, <laughs> doing some business, huh, Henry? Yeah, take a little bet, you know. <laughs> no, not really. Uh, so the really. Know, I, I was in Phoenix years ago uh, when uh, 
a, a liquor company tried, Peerless Liquor tried to move in there, you know, what, back in the eight, early 80s. And uh, I had gotten a liquor license from them when I, when I got out of the can, you know, the joint. Uh-huh. And, yeah, the can. Uh, yeah, we know. They phoned up the papers. And uh, you know, I had to go down there and testify, you know, give a deposition. And uh, the night the night before they were supposed to be granted the license, uh, they withdrew their, uh, their application. And why was that? Because I went and testified. You no, know, there was a mobbed up outfit, and they wanted to move in on the liquor business down here in Phoenix. Mm. And I forget who was the prosecutor that brought me down there. He went on to be a, you know, something, you know, some some big shot uh, politician in the state there. So, Henry, on your website, I noticed your artwork. Yeah. Do you I s- do that as a hobby, which turned into a sort of a business now. You know, I put a few shows on, you know, and uh, I'm doing well with it. If somebody wanted to buy uh, one of your pieces, where how would they go about that? Can they contact you directly through your website, or, or do you directly sell it? Directly through my website, yes. You know, uh-huh. I, I put on a few shows. I've done one in California, in Venice. I've done another one in Palm Springs. I'm, do, uh, another, uh, I'm doing one in London uh, this fall. You know, so uh, it's it's becoming another another entity in my <laughs> in Henry Hilling. <laughs> How do people in the art world treat you? Do they treat you as a serious artist, or do they treat you kind of as a novelty because of your public persona? I don't know. You know, I, I got terrific reviews in, in, in California. They reviewed my work, and they, you know, uh, a lot of it is self, you know, self-explanatory. You know, I give a line of shit with the, you know, <laughs> you know, with the painting. I name them, you know, uh you know, like, and and it's it's healing for me, believe it or not. And I find it real relaxing. It's one of my, you know, it's it's the best hobby I got going now. And I love to, you know, and I enjoy it. I get out of myself when I can, when I when I do it. And uh, and I can't believe it's selling. It's you know, it's a joke. <laughs> and, you know, I'm not a. I never studied it. Well, I, I took a you know a short course in you know in watercolors. All I'm doing is watercolors at the present time. But people seem to love it, and I've sold quite a few of them. Henry, when you first uh, started doing some interviews after the movie, you were all made up and beards and disguises. But I understand now you're just, when you do interviews, you're just yourself. You've come out. So is the threat against your life, is it kind of dissipated? Or what's the situation there? Oh, sure. It's, you know, it's 25 years since that ha- happened and probably 20 years since I've been on a stand. You know, I uh, all the people that I was involved with are dead. One or two... Uh, that was associated on doing, you know, they're in prison doing time. I, you know, I fear now today, I fear the, uh, the wacko kid that's trying to get up in the organization to make a name for himself, to, you know, to whack me or, or some crazy uh, uh, chick that's, uh, you, you know, claims that I banged her years ago. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I seriously, I've had stalkers, you know, come, you know, uh, female stalkers. It's crazy. Really? Yeah. You know, uh, I, you know, I don't live in theater, like I said earlier. You know, I, I just don't. I'm careful. Don't get me wrong. I'm real careful. Well, Henry, you know, Henry, uh, Henry how, old right? you, how old are you today? I, I just turned 61 a few weeks ago. Okay. Happy birthday. Thank you. <laughs> I also noticed in, in your book, Henry, that when you were in the witness protection program and you were supposed to be hidden, you kind of let some of your mistresses know where you were, and that's probably the worst people to tell. So why did you make that decision? Was it that good? Sometimes it was. <laughs> <laughs> that was a big risk, wasn't it? You yeah, let you know, the angry mistress know where you are. Well, you know, I never, I never really, uh, I always broke off with a, you know, with a, uh, a beautiful parting gift, you know. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Mrs. Estelle's jewelry that we stole, you know, I was, uh, I had quite a bit of that stash. You know, it was, 
you know, I never left on bad terms with any you know, chick I was involved with, any gumada. That's why they're stalking you, right? <laughs> the, the, the people that are stalking me is people I have even met in my life. Wackos. Oh, most women are, sweetie. Oh, Henry, I was, oh, hey, Henry, I was listening to the Stern tape when you were on June 11th, and, and Stern was talking about your teeth. What, what's going on with your teeth? Yeah, I, well, I have, uh, I have uppers and lowers, you know, and uh, they, well, the, I think they're fine. He doesn't like them. I mean, he's got, he's, he's got room to talk, that lanky, big-nosed son of a bitch. You know? yeah, yeah, it, seem, it seemed to me that he was making fun of you when I, what I heard. Well, you know, uh, he, we have a good stick going. You know, uh, I've been doing his shows for 12 years, you know, and we, we got a running thing going, you know. But, uh, you know, whenever I want to go on, I pop on. You know, he's, uh, you know, he's good for me and I'm good for him. Well, okay. we have a caller. Caller, thanks for calling in. What's your name and where are you from? Uh, my name is David, and uh, I'm from uh, Arlington, Virginia. What would you like to ask Henry today? Uh, I wanted to uh, ask Mr. Hill if... Uh, if he felt that there was a parallel between his role in the mob and uh, and the SS officers who would order Jews to their death during World War II. Damn, snap. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I'm practicing Jew today, and how did you say something like that to me? I'm sorry. Can you speak up a little bit? Uh, you said absolutely fucking not. What's the difference? Absolutely fucking not, because, uh, you know, I'm... I'm of the Jewish faith today. I read Torah, and I, I, why would you even say something like that? That's worse than calling me a fucking rat. Well, you know, they had the the capos in the concentration camps. Uh, you're, you're a Jew today. Were you a Jew when you were in the mob? Yes, I was. I converted in 1965 when I got married. And I was circumcised in 1965. Oh, wow. wow. How old were you? 25 years old. Whoa, it's, Henry. It's in my new book, Gangsters and Good, you know, Gangsters and Goodfellas. The, you know, the circumcision is in the book? Judaism, yes, it is. Ah. Did they put you under for that? Yeah, yes, they did. Oh, but the rabbi God. was in the, in the operating room. He had to be a witness to it. Yes. Yeah, they shot up the penis. <laughs> wow. I tell you what, the after, the after effects were, you know, it was quite difficult to, you know, to, to get used to uh, both sides of the, uh, you know, the... Uh, both, you know, both ways. <laughs> you know, the, where I'm getting at is my my question relates to the issue of moral capa uh, moral culpability. Okay, um, well, I'm going to tell you about that. All right, you know, I I didn't think I had a soul until I met this my spiritual advisor, Rabbi Mark Borowitz, and you know, quite a few years ago, and I had a you know I had a lot of problems with uh, with God and the God thing and. Uh, you know, in spirituality, but this man, this man was one of the main people to get me sober and keep me, you know, mostly sober till this, to this day. You know, because, you know, you know, I belong to a congregation called Bet Shuva, which they also have a recovery program there, and uh, it's, you know, it's the House of Return. You know, I am part of that whole community, which is a very huge community in California. And we do a lot of good things, you know, for the youth, the Jewish youth today that are addicted and have behavioral problems. And I am a counselor there, uh, you know, uh, sometimes when I'm in the area and part-time, you know. And I work with a lot of Jewish recovering people, you know, whether it be a, a behavior modification or addictions or anything in that field. So, and, so really, uh, Henry, in the beginning you dealt the drugs, and now you're helping people get off the drugs. Correct, correct, and stay off also, you know, and work with them. You know, and, uh, you know, if there's any kids out there with problems, Jewish or non-Jewish, you know, you can reach me on my website, 
and I could put you together, and, and, and also with being in gangs and getting out of gangs and that peer pressure. I do a lot of work today with, uh, with youth, you know, with homeless youth and with people, uh, people with those type of problems that think that there's no hope for them. And believe me, there is hope. They shouldn't give up because if I ever would have gave up, I would have been long gone a long time ago. You know, and I'm trying to give back, you know, I'm trying to give back to society, you know, today. I, you know, I, I, and, I, and I try to be a greater sin better today than I was yesterday. And uh, I'm not perfect. I'm far from perfect. But I, but I strive to be a, a better person today than I was yesterday. Does that answer your question, sir? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, how, many people, how many people did you order uh, to their deaths during your None. career in the mob? I, ne I never ordered anyone. To I was present when deaths were committed. Yes, I never ordered anyone. I, that part, of, you know, if you, if you knew anything about me or read any of the books that I've, or, or the movies, and you, you would see that, and you would read about it. I was there for, I was a hustler, and I was there for the money, and I got addicted into that lifestyle, and it became part of, it, part of my life. And, uh, and, I, and, and I was fortunate enough to get out of it alive. And today, I, I appreciate that. How, how long were you in the mob? About 30 many, years. 30 years? Yeah. Uh, is it true that to be initiated into the mob, you have to kill somebody randomly? Oh, no, that's to be a made member of the mob. I am not a made member and never was. Um, and yet to be a made member, you have to be 100% Sicilian or Italian. So, Henry, in other words, you were just a street hustler working well, underneath. Associate. No, I, I belong to a family. I belong to a family. What family was that? Uh, the Lucchese family. Lucchese? Okay. In good statues, but I never, I never, I never could become a made guy, and I never wanted to become a made guy. I know my position. I was a great earner. Did you ever deal? I bought the family. Yeah. Did you, ever, did you ever deal with Nicky Scarfo or any of the mob out of Philadelphia? I, I personally never did. You, you never know, did. I was associated with this. So you were, you were a Jewish affiliate. Did, did you yeah. uh, meet uh, Mayor Lansky? I never met Mayor Lansky, but uh, there was a lot of Jews. I came from the Bonville section of Brooklyn. There was a lot of Jews that were that ran Murder Incorporated, who were responsible for many, many, many killings. You know, and uh, I knew them as a, when I was a kid. I met a lot of them, and I seen a lot. Of, a couple of them go to the electric chair. You know, but mm -hmm. I was never. You know, like I said, I never killed anyone myself. I was present when. A lot of people were killed and executed. So, in other words, you organized, you basically organized it, but you didn't actually do no, the I did not organize it. I was present. You were present. Yeah, I was present, and I was there. Well, why, why did are, you, are you are you saying that because you have to say it because otherwise you'd be prosecuted? Absolutely not. I have transactional immunity. I could uh -huh. admit to, to ordering 100 deaths, 1,000 deaths, and they, could, they wouldn't prosecute me because that's a deal I made with the government. So I, you know, I, I have nothing to hide today. My life is an open book. Is that pretty? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I mean, if I if I killed anyone, I would admit it. Is so that pretty atypical? Do most people in the uh, in the mob or who are affiliates kill people, or do well, the majority of people not do that? There's people that don't have to kill people. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like any corporation is. A, you know, there's a you know vice president, the president. You had certain duties, you know, certain obligations, and I did what I was supposed to do. What, uh, I mean, what, I'm what do you think? I never hit nobody in the head with a baseball bat, <laughs> you know, or, or hit somebody with some brass knuckles. Like that I did. I caused a lot of brutality and pain to people, you know. And I am, you know, and I've worked through that, you know, over my life, you know, uh, as far as forgiving myself and, for, you know, and, and making amends to those people that what I could does, make what, amends. What does the rabbi tell you about uh, redemption? Uh, that, that we're all redeemable. 
We're all redeemable. Everyone out there is redeemable. You know, Henry, um, Rich and I, mean, I have been discussing... As long as you don't, don't repeat those same, those same practices today. And you know that as well as I do. That's part of the Jewish religion. You know, to be accepted back into the community and not make those same mistakes. You know, you do it every year. Now, Henry, Rich and I have, have discussed on the show the fact that there are people who have lived lives the way you did previously, doing, quite frankly, I mean, I'm sure you'll be the first to admit it, a lot of evil things. And then all of a sudden they find they find religion, they find God, and they're, they're saved. Meanwhile, you have people who have, have lived good lives and yet are not religious and they're looked at as as bad and and going to hell if there's a concept of that and and whoever's looking at them how do you feel about that well repeat again i i understood part of it i I didn't understand part of it (laughs) okay (laughs) you have in in uh, from a spiritual standpoint do you feel since you've kind of found found a new spirituality do you feel that you're more saved because you found that despite the past life that you've lived, more so than people who, who have led good lives but aren't spiritual? Uh, I don't know. You know, I think, you, you know, people that led, that led good lives and, and aren't spiritual today, that's, you know, that's their business. They have a reason for not being spiritual, I guess. You know, there's a, there's a, a, you know, a large proportion of them. But I, I, I definitely feel that I've been, you know, giving another, given another chance saved, if you want to call it, or, uh, you know, uh, but I believe, I believe I'm blessed, you know, to come through what I came through, so I give back, I give back to, you know, I give service back today. Well, Henry, you know, I try to give back every day something. Henry, you, know, you are, Henry, you are very blessed because you're still alive. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have another day, question. Okay, wait, wait, the caller has another question. Go ahead, caller. Uh, you know, given the fact that you have gone through this redemptive process. Um, yes, it was a process. When, when you think back about the first time you hit somebody in the head with a baseball bat, I mean, how did you feel at that time? I mean, did it, did it bother you? Did it repulse you? Or were you excited? Sometimes it repulsed me, and sometimes I did it, you know, when someone tried to rape my wife and threw her out of a moving car. When I beat that guy with a pistol, it didn't bother me. The anger that I had inside of me, the rage that I had inside of me at this person, it didn't, and I didn't care about the consequences. But I felt that I was doing the right thing at that time. Henry, I was doing that was something that the law couldn't do, you know. But, but of course, it bothers me today. Henry, you what know, stopped you I from killing that guy? Pardon? What stopped you from killing that guy? Well, it was across the street from my mother-in-law's house. He was a neighbor. I know, but when he tried to rape your wife and threw her out uh, of the I, car, I, why I, didn't I you just present. kill her? Why? What stopped you from killing him when you were beating him like that? I mean, I could have very well killed him. Right. You know what I mean? And in my heart, I think I wanted to. But, you know, but what I didn't. What stopped you? Yeah, what stopped uh, you? What stopped me? Well, I, uh, the, the sirens stopped me, to be perfectly honest with you. That were uh, coming. Oh, the sirens. Okay. Oh. I thought that maybe something inside you, you still couldn't kill the guy, even though he had done that uh, to you. For something like that, I could have killed him. Yeah, yeah. okay. Okay, so in other words, if the sirens didn't come, that would have been a murder. Uh, no, I don't think I would. You know, I mean, his parents come out of the house. His brother came out of the house. My wow. in-laws come out of the house. You know, I mean, too many witnesses. Bad. What about the What about the guys? You know, who you hit because you were told to hit them. You know, not these exigent circumstances. You no, know, at the time I did not show weakness because I was a part of that world. My My thinking was completely opposite. I was a part of that subculture. The minute you show weakness in that culture. In, the, in that organization, they take that as a sign of weakness, and you would be killed. 
Well, that really relates back to my first question, which was, did you think about it? I know that there I were. Thought about yeah, it. I have a conscience. I have a were, conscience. I know that there were some Nazis who didn't think about it, and then there were Nazis who did think about it. You know. Well, I de- definitely, I was a. I have, I have a conscience, and I'm sure that the, you know I was also a soldier. So you know, I was in the 82nd Airborne uh, for three and a half years of my life, and there was things I was asked to do then, and I did them because, you know, because I took an oath to, to our country to do it. You know, it's. Uh, so it was the same thing in that life, you know. You were in the toilet to do something, and I did it. Well, Henry, thank you so much for being with us today. Unfortunately, we have to wrap it up. Ran out of time. Yeah, but we absolutely would love to have you on again, and we'll be in touch about that. Thank, thank everybody you. so much for listening to us. Blunt with Rich and Caroline on Renegade Talk Radio. We want to thank Henry. We want to thank Michael, and we want to thank Derry for sitting in. And doing a great job. And uh, Queer Nation is coming up next with uh, PDO and Genio. And we'll be right back after these messages with Queer Nation. And Henry, again, thank you very much. And you have a great day. You too, guys. Thank you. I'm not feeling so well here. Anthrax fever. You got that anthrax fever. From a donut falls on the floor It's a catastrophe Anything you touch might contain the spore Just like your Looking for a verbal hand job? Yes, 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 yes. Release your frustrations and listen to Blunt Talk On Renegade Talk Radio